0: Coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 21st of August, 2022, Growing in Christ, Part 5. We've been talking about growing in Christ. And uh, you may have been able to tell because of some of the music that we have sung and the scripture that we read in 1 Corinthians 15, One of the principal teachings of God's word concerning believers is that we have a hope that this world is not just all that there is, but that there is a future. So we want to look at a real practical example. One of our members here came and said, a pastor of this whole thing about position and condition, I wish you'd given us a practical example. So, I don't know if this will suffice, but here's an example. Begin, though, with this account in the book of Acts. So, I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 10. And it's going to focus on one personality. It's going to focus on the person of Peter, you know, our favorite Bible, New Testament character. And I do emphasize character when I say that word. Because Peter gives us all hope. Peter was a, was a person, as recorded in God's word, that very much like the rest of us, Was in process. He hadn't arrived. Here he had served with Jesus. Been one of the inner circle. Serving with Jesus. He had seen Jesus up close and personal. You know about his betrayal. You know about his restoration by Jesus. You know about him preaching on the first day. Of Pentecost that. And the beginning of the church. And thousands were added, souls were added to the church. But Peter hadn't arrived by that time. He was still in process. We're going to jump in to his life in Acts chapter 10. And we come to Acts chapter 10. There, we're going to sort of get into the story here a little bit. I've given you a lot of scriptures there. I'm not necessarily going to read them all. I just want to give them to you so that if you wanted to follow this up and reading, you would have some passage. I'm going to underline a few of the verses. But Peter is is down and he's enjoying the day. He's up on top of the house. Now, that sounds strange to us. It wasn't so strange to them. Most of them had flat roofs, they were up there. That was a good place to get a view of the surrounding area, soak up some sunlight. It was a normal thing. Don't think of a peak roof that the guys balanced up there. No, this was, this would be like going out on a deck. Okay, and so Peter was there, and uh, it says in verse nine that he went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. So this was a good time. All of us need to get away sometimes and get into a private place. And he was in a private place up on the housetop and he was praying. And he became hungry. And he wanted something to eat. I'm sure that hunger has never interrupted your prayer life, but interrupted Peter's. And it says that While they were preparing something, he fell into a trance and he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners on the earth. And there were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, verse 13, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And you go, well, it's lunchtime. He was hungry. This is okay. But listen to what Peter says. By no means, Lord. I'm sure that you have never said to the Lord, no, God. But that's what Peter did. No, Lord, I'm not going to do what you told me to do. He says, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times and the things were taken up into heaven. And he goes, what in the world? He was hungry. The Lord had provided a meal for him, had spoken to him three times, and all three times. He goes, no, no, that's all unclean. So the title or the section is entitled, Peter had a problem with hand sandwiches. (laughs) Why? Because unclean animal like a pig wouldn't make it, you know, maybe it was pork chops, I don't know, or bacon. Some of you already mouthing those words, right? Peter goes, no, I've always eaten kosher all my life. I'm not going to eat any of those unclean animals. Peter had a real problem with this. Why? Because out of his background, he was doing those things that fulfilled the law that were right to do. And so this had been his heritage. This is what all of his people had ever done. They tried to keep the law. They tried to eat kosher. They tried to do those things. And here the Lord had said, here, take and eat of these things. And he went, no. He had a real problem with that. But the Lord was going to expand his vision. After this was all done, he's perplexed, verse 17. He's perplexed. What did this mean? Well, scripture tells us what it means. There was a man by the name of Cornelius who was actually a centurion from verse one. So he was part of the Roman legion and, but he was a follower of, of God as best he knew. And the Lord had given a vision, sends some guys down to Joppa, um, from Joppa down and find this guy named Peter and bring him back. And so about the time that Peter is wondering about this meal that he was thinking about eating, but didn't, these men arrive and they convey to them that he that he was to come with them. And so the next day um, some of those from Joppa then accompanied Peter and away they went uh, up to Caesarea to meet up with Cornelius. And I want you to note that Cornelius had prepared, by inviting relatives and friends in. And it says in verse 25 of chapter 10, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down his feet and worshiped him. I mean, if this was a spokesman from God and he had been told to go and get him, this would have been a a natural reaction. And Peter said, wait, 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 stand up. I too am a man. And he talked with him and he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another's nation, but God has shown me that I am not to call any person common or unclean. Peter was in process. Peter had been raised as a a, A kosher Jew, a person who followed the law. He was not to mingle with others according to their understanding. And now Cornelius has invited him in and as a spokesman for God, he asks him, "Uh, would you tell us what's on your heart, what's on your mind? Verse Verse 34 Truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So Peter began to share what he knows about the Lord Jesus Christ, began to share with him his understanding of who the Lord is, and he's sharing it now with Gentiles, which is probably just boggling his mind because he never thought that he would be doing that. And he begins to tell them of Jesus and how he had come and how he had healed and how he had preached and and then how he had ended up in Jerusalem and he had been put on the cross and how God had raised him up, giving this in the shortened version here, we see something dramatic in verse 44. And while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Wow. Peter didn't even finish his message, he got interrupted. And if you're going to be interrupted as a preacher, the Holy Spirit doing it is the best one to do it. <laughs> the Holy Spirit then basically said amen to what Peter is preaching and fell upon all those that were listening. And the believers who were among the circumcised, in other words, the Jews who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, even on the Gentiles. Praise God. Most of us, maybe not all, all of us, fall in that category. And they were hearing them speaking in tongues, extolling the Lord, And Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain some days. Peter was in process. Before this account started in this chapter, his world was fairly small. Was the Jewish people And the believers inside that small arena of Judaism now who had put their trust in Jesus Christ and the the Lord just busted that wide open and said, no, way more than this. The epilogue of this part of the story is that Peter then reports back to the church in chapter 11. And we're not going to go into that because he basically recounts everything that's in chapter 10. But I want you to look at verses 17 and 18. He's finishing up his account and he says, if then God gave them the same gift to them that he gave to us when we believe in the Lord Jesus, who... Was I that I should stand in God's way? should I get in, get in the way and stop God? He said, no. And when he heard, and when they heard these things, they fell silent. They had myriads of questions up until that point. and then they go, "hmm." And they glorified God saying, "Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So, this was Peter's experience. But he had a problem at the very beginning with ham sandwiches. (laughs) And it expanded. And he now had a greater understanding. And this is the greater understanding that every believer has the heritage of hope. And you go, well, pastor, where'd you get that? There's a couple passages that I've listed here for you. But I would like for you to turn to Ephesians with me. Ephesians, the first chapter, and we can see this doctrinal statement that is given by Paul to the church at Ephesus, and, and fills out or flushes out what Peter had just experienced in the book of Acts. In Ephesians, the first chapter, as Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, he gives just some wonderful teachings, some doctrine, some, some statements about who we are in Christ. All those things have to do with our position Our relationship with Jesus Christ in verse 15 of chapter 1 we read this for this reason talking about all what God has done in the life of those who have put their trust in him he says for this reason because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus And your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation of the knowledge of him. In other words, he says, I want you to know who you are and who you are in relation to him. And we talked about that last week as being our position in Christ. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand of heavenly places. Apostle Paul, would you please put a period in it somewhere? He's so enthusiastic about declaring God's greatness and the greatness of God's provision for believers who put them, their trust in him. He talks about, in the midst of this, in verse 18, that you may know what is the hope of, to which he has called you. He says, this isn't all. When we do a Passover Seder, there's a little song that's sung. We very rarely sing it, but the words are dayenu. It would be enough. It would be enough if the Lord would demonstrate his great love by sending his son to sacrifice himself on the. It would be enough for him to have been raised victorious over death. It would have been enough if he should make that greatest salvation aware to us. It would be enough if we would be recipients of that grace and know him. It would be enough If in this life, he empowered us through the work of the Holy Spirit and directed by the word of God so that we can live a holy life glorifying him. But Apostle Paul isn't done there. He says, really, that isn't enough. He has also given us a great hope. That when this world and when this time is over, this will continue. Only then we'll see him face to face. Wow. Going into chapter 2. Chapter 2 develops Peter's theme. Because in chapter 2, he says, let's talk about the Gentiles. And in verse 11 of chapter 2, he says, Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by hands, remember that you two at that time were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope. So hope is the heritage of all believers. It is, it is part and parcel, not only of the Jews, like Peter, but also of the Gentiles, and Peter became aware of that. Then the early church became aware of that, as Peter report, reported back. And then as they went and turned around and started sending out missionaries beyond Peter, Paul and Barnabas, Paul, Silas, what. They were sharing the good news, which included the message of hope. In verse 14, for he himself is our peace, talking about Jesus Christ, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. Paul, as he's writing to the church at Ephesus, says, "This, this hope that we have is not the exclusive property of the Jews alone. It's for Jews and Gentiles. And so what we see in this opening segment about the position Paul writes about, and Peter experienced this expanding truth. It wasn't new truth, but it was new to him truth, that God was interested in all who believe, both Jews and Gentiles, so that they might All have hope. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, and verses 9 and 10, I'll share this and then we'll move on to how our hope impacts our lives. It says, The saying is trustworthy and and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Paul, as he's writing to Timothy, said, This is a across the boards, Jews and Gentiles alike. All can be participants in hope. That's the heritage that we have. That's the positional standing that we have before God that is unshakable. But now, we were interested last week in talking about how our position influences our condition. Hope talks about something that is yet to be experienced. That's the nature of hope. In Romans, he talks about that idea of what hope really is. Hope that's experienced isn't hope anymore. If I I said, uh, I hope that we go out to lunch later, and later I find myself in a restaurant that I enjoy, and I'm sitting down and eating, I'm not hoping about it anymore. I'm experiencing it. So hope is about something that is promised that will happen, but it hasn't been experienced yet. So we have this glorious hope. But Peter had another problem. He had a problem in his understanding about his position and that got straightened out. But now, how does that position that all who put their trust in him, whether Jews or Gentiles, have a hope, how does that influence our condition? What does that have to do with our condition? Well, that's why I'm here to tell you. Okay? So, I'd invite you to turn with me to... um, The wrong passage. Uh, I hate when I do that. Type up my notes and I know that when you guys type stuff into Facebook, you never misspell words. It doesn't create things for you. That's reserved for pastors. Only pastors get that kind of stuff. Well I believe I believe that what I wrote was X, but I didn't mean to write X. I meant to write something else. I'll see if I can find the right thing real real quick. This this pause for station identification. Out your notes, it says Acts 2, 11 through 14, and write in Galatians. I only missed it by a couple books. <laughs> Galatians chapter 2. Before we saw that, and I think this is one of those divine connections, anyway, that Peter had a problem with ham sandwiches before, right? The introduction to for Peter to a ministry with the Gentiles had to do with this meal that was let down, right? So now we're in Galatians, and we're back to food and Gentiles again. So turn with me to Galatians not Acts chapter two, Galatians chapter two. And we read just a short section. and We'll make some points here. It says, and when Cephas came to Antioch, that's another name for Peter. He says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Peter's being uh, talked about by Paul. He says, for certain men came from James He was eating with the Gentiles. Ooh. Remember, before he had a problem with ham sandwiches. Now, what is he enjoying? It's easy. In Antioch, it's got to be the world famous Antioch pork ribs. (laughs) You've heard about those, right? And their secret sauce? Well, anyway. So Peter now has jumped into it and he's going from house to house and they've got barbecues going and he is sharing in all this stuff. Peter had really gotten into this whole thing. But Paul is opposing him. Why? He says, when they came... He drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And he says, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically among, with, along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. By the way, I'm calling this section, Peter had a problem with hypocrisy. Before it was ham sandwiches, now he's eating pork like nobody's business, but he has a problem with hypocrisy. By the way, it's interesting to note that hypocrisy is only mentioned a few times in Scripture. Most of the time in the Gospels when Jesus is is talking about the religious leaders of their day who would say, live this way, and then they would live some other way. Live this way, then they would lose some of the way. And it's used here twice to talk about the situation surrounding Peter. Well, what was the hypocrisy of Peter? Peter had gone in with the whole idea now of meeting with the Gentiles, eating with the Gentiles, eating the spare ribs, the world famous. Antioch spare room. I say that just so that you remember. I have no idea whether it was spare rooms or not. Scripture doesn't say. But when the Judaizers came, and they were the strict, you've got to keep the law, people. Now, he's not even talking necessarily about just Jews. He's talking about Jews that may have even been converted, but have bought into, I'm going to pull Judaism right into Christianity, and we've got to keep the law, we've got to do those things. And when Peter saw them, he pulled back from being with the Gentiles. Remember his first experience? I can't go and be with Cornelius, I can't be with a Gentile. That's what these Judaizers were like. And then he had gotten over that by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit. But these Judaizers were coming, and, and Peter goes, oh, oh, I remember that whole thing. And what are they going to say? What are they going to do? And so the easiest way to deal with this is pull back from the Gentiles and back to eating kosher food. I'm not going to their house. Why? Because it's a lot easier to deal with these Judaizers that way than to deal with these Gentiles. Verse 14. But When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Cephas, Before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jews, how do you force the Gentiles to live like the Jews? In other words, he says, you have come to the understanding, you come to the realization that you don't keep the law as a way of living righteously before God. Is there anything wrong with the law? No. But that isn't the measure of performance where we're proved by God because of our performance. No. He says, if you couldn't do it, why are you going to ask the Gentiles to do what you couldn't do? But there's a bigger problem. It's the hypocrisy of Peter. The hypocrisy of Peter. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a problem of doing what you knew was right to do because the group in which you were with, their influence on you was great enough, peer pressure to expect you to act differently. And so you went against what you knew was right to do and did what you thought that they would like for you to do. Well, I didn't see any hands raised. Well, I didn't ask you to show your hands because we all would put our hands up. He had a problem with hypocrisy.
1: Was he living according to his
0: position and what he knew? Were, they, were, they, were the Gentiles joint heirs with, with Peter and the, and the Jews in Jesus? Were they, were they fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Yeah, but what was he doing? He was withdrawing from them was that right? Absolutely not. And I love Paul called him. He says, how can you ask them to be this way when you can't even be this way? So how does our position then impact our condition? Peter messed up. And before we condemn him too much, we do the same. Anytime we go against what we know is right, because someone has applied pressure for us to do something other than what is right, We are in the same boat with Peter. But scripture tells us at this point, and Paul points it out, you've got to live according to your position. The Jews and the Gentiles had the same hope. How can you withdraw from one and cling to the other? doesn't work that way. They're together in this. So I've given you multiple passages here and I'm just going to point you to one or two and then we will draw this to a conclusion. So our final point is this. Our hope then should impact our condition in this way. Everyone who hopes in Christ Purifies himself. Keeps working on this whole idea of living right. Paul called Peter on the carpet because Peter was not doing what was right. In First Peter, a letter by the same author at a later time, wrote these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter 1. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, Unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. If that isn't talking about hope, I don't know what is. Listen to this first verse of chapter 2. So put away all malice. All deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. He says, if we have this hope, if we know that it's true for Jews and Gentiles, let's get rid of hypocrisy. And what was he called on? but as we said Peter was in transition how many have arrived in their spiritual life yeah me either Peter says we're in process there's several other passages here But I'm going to take you to the last one and we'll close with this. It's where I got the statement in the first place. 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now. I love 1 John. 1 John talks like a, like a grandpa. He says my little children, let me talk to you about something. It says, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And this is the, the bottom line, verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Our hope, our promise, provision about life after this life should have an impact on our condition and John records the same thing that Peter records, which Paul records, and that is it ought to have a profound impact on how we live, and he says it this way and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure we're in process because we haven't arrived there yet either so there are sort of a practical demonstration about how a truth, a positional statement about who we are, a doctrinal thing that we can bank on impacts our daily living, our condition. And I hope that that sort of clarifies how those two things are related. Everyone who thus hopes In him, purifies himself as he himself is pure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, like Peter, we're in process. Readily admitted, it's not anything to brag about. We wish we were further along. But you have called us to a holy life. And it's predicated upon truths that you have given to us. One of them is we're going to see you face to face one day. We want to be preparing for that time. John said that we should purify ourselves because we have this hope in us. So Heavenly Father, we ask that this week if we have hope and all believers do Jews and Gentiles alike have the same hope if we have that hope because we have put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord then Heavenly Father purify our lives let us seek those things which are above not those things here on earth Heavenly Father Father that our lives may reflect our relationship to you, we ask, in Jesus' name.